Thank you for listening to the Faith Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. Today's sermon for Reformation Sunday is preached by Pastor Jason Goodham. If you have questions or comments regarding today's sermon, please call the church office at 612-824-5527 or visit our website, faithfreelutheran-aflc.org. One of these days, I'm going to select that hymn as the hymn before the sermon and then let those words stand as my sermon, but not today. So, welcome to those who, of you who are visiting us this morning, and grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I would at this time invite you to stand as I read the gospel lesson appointed for Reformation Sunday. The sermon text is taken from John 8, 31 through 36, can be found on page 1663 of your pew Bible if you'd like to follow along, reading in Jesus' name, John chapter 8, verses 31 through 36. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits a sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The Son remains forever. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Heavenly Father, these are your words, and your word is truth. We pray that this morning you would sanctify us in the truth, that you would convict us of sin in our lives where that is necessary, and that you would comfort and encourage us with the promises of your gospel. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Martin Luther was an expert of sorts on the topic of slavery. Now, he wasn't a professor of history at the University of Wittenberg, nor was he an amateur historian. Now, what made Luther an expert was that he was a slave himself. Again, Luther had never been captured, and the only time he had ever really been imprisoned, it was done by his own friends in an effort to protect him from the Roman Catholic Church. Luther, however, was a slave, and he knew he was a slave. He was a slave to his own conscience, which in turn was a slave to his own sins. Now this reality shows up very early in Luther's life after he had entered the monastery. Luther was so concerned with living a pious life and was so aware of his own sinfulness that he frequented the confessional. He would, at times, confess his sins, and on the way back to his room, realized that he had yet again thought about something unclean or unholy, and he would immediately return to confess again. And this practice so frustrated his confessor that finally, in exasperation, the man told Luther to go away and not to come back until he had done something worth confessing. This was Luther's conscience. Now, for those familiar with the Reformation, we could see how Luther, under the gospelless works righteousness system of the Roman Catholic Church at his time, would struggle with this. We could see how he would be oppressed at the need to be righteous before God. But what many don't realize is that Luther also struggled this, although less so, as a reformer, 
after discovering the gospel. Luther was prone to mood swings and bouts of great depression. One time, during one of these periods, he walked in from the school into his home just in time to see his wife, Katie, dressed all black and in funeral garb. And she was sitting there in the kitchen. When Luther asked Katie what was going on, who died, Katie responded to him directly as she was wont to do, God has died. Luther instantly became angry and was ready to accuse her of blasphemy until Katie asked him again directly, then why do you mope about as if God is dead? Now these stories about Luther, the slave to his own conscience, intersect nicely with our gospel lesson for this Reformation Sunday, where Jesus tells us that we too are slaves. And what's interesting about the gospel lesson today is that Jesus again has a direct exchange with the Jews. But the Jews Jesus is speaking to here aren't his enemies, the Pharisees. They're not the lawyers trying to trap him in a lie. The Jews that Jesus interacts with today are the Jews who already believed him. The Jews who are following him, who are listening to him teach and receiving that teaching. And so with that in mind, what Jesus teaches us this morning is the lengths that we, as his children, will go to avoid slavery, even before we allow the glorious reality of the gospel to be applied to us. So, turning our eyes back to John 8 this morning, first, Jesus teaches that we deny our slavery. When Jesus proclaims the tr- that the truth will set you free, those Jews who had believed in him immediately take offense. Again, we would understand if it was the prideful Pharisees or the Sadducees or the scribes or the lawyers or the ruling religious elite. We would understand if they objected to Jesus because they literally objected to anything Jesus said. I can imagine at times that if a Pharisee sneezed and Jesus was there to say, God bless you, the Pharisee would go, no he doesn't. But this isn't the case here. These are the Jews who believed in Jesus, offended at slavery. And what's so interesting about this is that their belief about slavery was patently false. We are children of Abraham. We've never been enslaved to anyone. Well, except that time for 400 years when you were enslaved in Egypt Or that time right now where you don't even rule your own country, the Romans are ruling you and oppressing you. But the reality here is that they didn't even recognize, in spite of Jesus' teaching about sin, and in spite of Jesus' teaching about the fallenness of human nature, they did not realize that they were slaves to their own sin. And so Jesus spells it out. Everyone who commits a sin is a slave to sin. What this means for us today is that each one of us are in the same boat as the Jews of Jesus' day. We are slaves. We are in denial about our slavery. And our response is to invent our own autonomy. We say to ourselves, I'm not a slave. In fact, 
I'm in charge. And all this does is put us in a position before the God of the universe where, like a petulant toddler, we shake our fist at him and yell, you're not the boss of me. Telling God that doesn't do us any good because God, in fact, happens to be the boss of me. But it also happens to be true that in your sin, and because of your sin, you cannot do anything but sin. You are, as Jesus says, a slave to sin. You can pretend that your sin doesn't exist. You can pretend that your sin doesn't matter. You can pretend that at the end of time, God won't care about your sin. But he does. And so we try to address our slavery. We try to set ourselves free by our own efforts, which again, the Jews were masters at doing. When we realize this problem, what we do is something like what happened to the Roman Catholic Church of, the, uh, of Luther's day. We come up with a set of rules that we declare make us righteous. Now, this is a pretty bold statement for a Lutheran pastor on Reformation Sunday to make to a bunch of Lutherans. You can't call me a works-righteous heretic pastor. You can't do that. But here's the problem. You might not be taking credit for your good works as if they somehow earn God's approval and buy your way into heaven. You might not be worried about purchasing indulgences that get you out of purgatory. But you are probably living your life right now as if the absence of a certain sin is freedom from that sin. And this is where you fall into works righteousness. And this is where you yourself try to set you free. If you believe that successfully resisting temptation or avoiding sin frees you from sin, then you have fallen into the same error of the Pharisees and the Roman Catholics. Now, it's absolutely necessary for you to train yourself in the virtues. God wants you to obey his law. In fact, he commands it. That's why they're called commandments. But we must remember that our good works, our virtues, our training and our discipline, that's not for us and that's not for God. That's for our neighbor. Should you master even one habitual sin, should you break one addiction, should you avoid even a single pet sin that plagues you on a regular basis, at the end of that, you're still a sinner. And you're not any less of a sinner before God than you would have been without resisting. If you think you can set yourself free from sin by resisting it or avoiding it or overcoming it in any way, you will always be a slaver, sla you will always be in slavery to sin. You will always be a slave because there will always be something else and something else after it. Your sin runs deeper than you can ever imagine. And Jesus will once again point out to you from his word that you need to set, be set free. And so we, we pivot. We realize by our own work we can't do it. So then we, we, we rec reconcile in our head that maybe I'm set free by the love of God. 
And here again is an area where we have to be careful. We have to be direct and specific to be sure God's love does indeed set us free. The best known Bible verse in the entire scriptures is God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But here I'm not referring to God's redeeming or God's saving love. I'm referring to the modern way we think about God's love. To God's love as the warm fuzzies in our spirit. Liberal mainline Christians will preach up and down and backwards and upside down and through that God is love. And as a result, God would never condemn sin. What this amounts to is that where there is no law, there is no sin. So if we make everything permissible, if we make everything just a matter of our own personal choice, God won't ever condemn us because there's nothing to condemn us for. It's an easy solution to eliminate the law or to pretend that the law is no longer binding. But it is. And before we roll our eyes at this situation, this creeps up into our own mindset also. Instead of addressing Christ's sacrifice as atoning for and forgiving sin, some speak about Christ's sacrifice as buying us freedom from guilt. Not in a justifying way where God says we're not guilty, but in a way that the gospel somehow frees us from feeling shame and guilt for the sins we do commit. When this happens, God's word of law is placed in opposition to God's word of gospel. And we end up ignoring the law because it makes me feel bad about myself. We end up saying, law bad, gospel good. But the problem with that is if all we do are remove the feelings of our guilt because of sin, sin hasn't actually been dealt with. All we end up doing is feeling better about our slavery, not freeing ourselves from slavery. And so Jesus gets us back to the topic at hand. The Son sets you free. Jesus says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And then he emphasizes it. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. When we consider the ways that we think we can free ourselves from our sin, or we think we are freed from our sin, what we discover is that sin is a much bigger problem than we originally thought. It's not merely a character defect that we can cancel out with good behavior. It's not a mistake, an oops. The weight and depth and magnitude of our sin can only be overcome by the blood and death of the Son of God. And this is what Jesus is getting after in the gospel lesson. And this is what was at the heart and soul of the Reformation. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. This is the message of God's Word. This is the product of God's Word. God's Word will absolutely and continually point you to your sin. It will point it out. It will highlight it, it will circle it in red, and will draw stars all the way around it. 
If you read God's word, you cannot walk away without a sense of your sinfulness. And God's word tells you you're condemned because of your sin. That you're damned because of your sin. But God's word also provides the antidote, the remedy, the freedom. Because what God's word is ultimately designed to do is show you your Savior. And in showing you your Savior, God's word is showing you the certainty of your redemption. Jesus came to set you free. He lived, died, and rose again in human history to guarantee it. He has given you his unchangeable and objective word to seal it. He has even provided for you today on this altar his own body and blood to assure you of it. And so, if the Son sets you free, and he has, you are free indeed. This is a statement of reality by God to you. You are no longer a slave. You are a child of God, loved and treasured and blessed by God himself. Amen. And now, may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. As we prepare ourselves to receive the Lord's Supper and